This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill är så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, welcome everybody. It's episode 24 of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. Yes. Yes. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, is Brian Kahn. Hi, Elon. Man, Brian, only two weeks left in the hockey season. I'm curious to know how many of our listeners are still in their pools and how many of them have already dropped off and are just listening uh, just to be nice. I would hope that they are still listening casually. I feel like fantasy involvement, we were talking about this earlier, takes a huge nosedive around this time of year and maybe a few weeks ago. Yeah, well, now's a good time, though, to start scouting for next year, even if you're eliminated. But we'll get into that. That's why you should be listening right now. There you go. Well, Brian, let's get right to our headlines, okay? Yeah. Headline number one, as always, because I don't know, there's some jinx on the NHL lately, some new big injuries to report. I don't like that injuries are always the first headline. I don't know. It just seems like such a big deal. Maybe we should just have an injury segment. <laughs> okay. Next week, if there's another big injury, it won't be the first headline. Okay. But come on, how can there be a bigger headline than Evgeny Malkin being gone for the entire rest of the fantasy playoffs? I don't know. It's just like Patrick Kane being gone for the rest of the fantasy playoffs before him. And who else is out? Latang has been out for, well, a while now. Yeah, I mean, it's been bad luck. But okay, let's focus on this Malkin injury. How does this affect the Pittsburgh Penguins? What can people do to adjust if they had Malkin? What can they do if they just want to take advantage of a new open spot on the Penguins? Is there anything you've noticed since Malkin's gone down? Well, I feel like this is just almost like we talked about when James Neal appeared to be out long term a couple weeks ago. And Pittsburgh doesn't seem to have anybody who's going to benefit immediately from any injury to their players. At least we haven't seen that happen in the past. Although this time, if there is a beneficiary, it'll be Bo Bennett who has moved up to the second line playing alongside James Neal and UC Jokinen and also seeing second unit power play time. But the Penguins as a group aren't doing all that well lately. They've only won four of their last 10 games and seem to be struggling. And another player, Elon, if you don't mind me dipping into the headlines here, that that's really felt it on the Penguins is Oli Mata. Yeah, we, we used to talk about him all the time as the big must-add defenseman. Yeah, and he was, but now I, I don't know if I'll call him a must-drop defenseman, but with only, you know, two weeks to go in the fantasy hockey season, I don't know how much value he might add to your team from here on out. Since December, he hadn't gone more than two consecutive games without scoring, so about three months. But now he's pointless in not three games, not four games, in nine straight games, and he's faced with being a healthy scratch. 
His ice time hasn't really suffered, though, at either even strength or the power play. So when he does get into the lineup, he's still seeing, I feel like, the same opportunities. And he did have a really tough stretch in possession numbers at the start of this draught. But he's bounced back since, albeit without any points to show for it. And it's a really strange turn of events, considering how high we were on him. And especially once Latang was going to be out, we thought this was it. He was definitely going to make it and be a, a steady candidate for a solid defensive roster spot on anyone's fantasy team. And I, I do wonder if there's any correlation between Mata's draught and the entire team's performance. In the nine games that he's been pointless, Pittsburgh has dropped six of those, and I don't think his point production was carrying them. It's hard to say what's causing what, but it's worth noting, and I guess maybe if Pittsburgh turns it around, so will Mata, but hard to say, and if you've only got two weeks to spare, and there's a half-decent candidate available in your free agent pool, I would go ahead and make the switch. So Mata was a healthy scratch in Pittsburgh's last game when they played Columbus, Sometimes players respond after being a healthy scratch and come out really trying to prove themselves. So it'll be really interesting to see how Mata does today against Chicago, maybe as a preview for whether or not you should keep him or drop him or pick him up for the final two weeks of the playoffs. Well, the regular season, but our playoffs. Also, we should mention, speaking of Bo Bennett, he has been back for only one game. He came back from injury to get on that second line, like you mentioned, with James Neal and UC Okanen, and he got a goal in his first game back, so another player to watch. Yeah, so he hasn't played a whole lot this season. He's got two goals and two assists now for four points in 13 games played, only 17 shots on goal, nothing on the power play, not really anything to mention in his peripherals. Maybe this is the start of something, though. He did have three shots in the game where he scored a goal. All right, now for our next headline, which I guess we've already mentioned, it's the final two weeks of the regular season, which means... A lot of people are either going into their semifinals or their finals matchups if there's two-week matchups in their pools. So I thought we should take a second to look at which teams you may want to target players on and which teams you may want to avoid based on strength of schedule. And one team that really jumps out at me as probably a prime pickup candidate is the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, at least for next week. They play four games between Monday and Sunday. They actually play also on Mondays if you want to talk about the eighth-day stretch. But over their next four games, they're playing Winnipeg, Edmonton, Nashville, then Edmonton again. Then they play Vancouver next Monday. So for that stretch, you've got a lot of possibilities for blowouts against weak teams. And there's a lot of Anaheim players that you may want to look at, including a man by the name of Matthew Perot, who out of nowhere has an eight-game point streak. It was a big deal when he got traded from Washington to Anaheim because he, I think, and his agent, according to some stories I read, felt that all he needed was the opportunity to produce, which he wasn't getting in Washington. And that was also echoed amongst, you know, pundits and prognosticators. And it, it paid immediate dividends. He he came off really strong at the start of the season. He had nine points in his first nine games and was a quick pickup in just about every pool because he hadn't been drafted and there was a lot of buzz around this young player. And then he sort of fell off for a long time in late October, November, December, January. He started showing signs of life again, but still unsteady for the most part. But yes, like you said, he's got an eight game point streak rolling with six goals and three assists in that span. And he's regularly, he's putting up shots. He's got zero, one, and one a couple times, but he's got a seven-shot game, a six-shot game, and he's also seeing power play time too. Yeah, in fact, the last goal of the game yesterday for Anaheim against Vancouver 
was Matthew Perot scoring on the power play, assisted by Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff. So playing with those guys is definitely going to lead you to points, especially on the power play. He's not playing with them for his regular strength minutes. Right now his line mates are Patrick Maroon and Jacob Silverberg. But yeah, I think that as a low percentage owned potential pickup, you could do a lot worse than Matthew Perot, especially with Anaheim's schedule next week. And if you want to go with Anaheim, but you don't really like Perot, you could always jump up to that top line and grab Nick Benino, who right now is playing with Getzlaff and Perry on that first line. So another player who's bound to get some points over the next little while, as long as he stays on that line. Except we've said that like several times about different Anaheim players this season. That's a re- been a revolving door. You've had Dustin Penner there, Patrick Maroon spent a few games there, Kyle Palmieri, we were really high on him for like the four games that he spent there. I wouldn't pick him up based on that alone. And especially, I mean, he was also like Matthew Perot, not drafted, but picked up in a ton of leagues, although he produced a lot more consistently until, I don't know, late January. He really hasn't been doing a whole lot. And same thing goes for another exciting Anaheim Duck, or at least at one point in the season was very exciting. Jacob Silverberg is also not doing a whole lot especially since coming back from injury. Over the last two months, he only has five points. And like I said, he did miss maybe a couple weeks in that span, so that's not quite accurate. But this is like a good 15, 18-game stretch. And I think this is actually affecting pretty much everyone on Anaheim, except Perry and Getzlaff, at least substantially. They've been playing with a very high PDO, which we covered at the beginning of the season, right? Yeah, that's the thing where they're benefiting from luck, basically. More shots are going in than you'd expect from average shooting percentages. Yes, exactly. And they're also stopping more shots for what that's worth to offensive production. But I think we're seeing a lot of regression to every player on Anaheim. And it's also shown in their record. I think a lot of people have them sort of picked as being ripe for a first round upset. Well, it's possible. But again, I'm just talking about for next week, two games against Edmonton can't hurt. They actually just played Edmonton a couple of games ago. Matthew Perot had a goal and an assist. Benino got a goal. So maybe these guys wouldn't be great as long-term pickups, but with only two weeks left and a really strong week next week, I think they're definitely worth a look. Worth a look. I will agree with you that far. On the other side of the ice, a team that I think you might want to avoid next week is the Vancouver Canucks. So they only play two times next week, and their games are against the Rangers and the Kings. So two strong defensive teams. There are a lot of players on Vancouver who are tempting to grab someone like maybe Nick Jensen, Who's been playing good minutes lately? No, actually, he was benched by John Tortorella late in, I don't know if it was their last game or the one before that one. Right, I guess, yeah, he was not playing good minutes lately. He was on the top line with the Sedins at one point, but of course one of the Sedins is injured, and that whole team is a mess. Also, in my league recently, Alex Burrows was picked up, and so I was thinking that might be a tempting pickup, but again, with the schedule... You can't expect too much over the next week. Yeah, over the last four weeks, I think we've probably mentioned them each show and every show it's been ending with like us saying leave them for fantasy dead this year. There's not a whole lot of value in any of the Canucks for the rest of the season, regardless of how many games they're playing. And then another team, which I'm going to say that you might want to avoid, at least for next week, is the Detroit Red Wings. And it is tempting to grab a couple of Red Wings, right? Darren Helm got a hat trick last night. Tatar has been on fire. He scored a couple of goals a couple of games ago. But if you look at Detroit's schedule, they don't play at all until Wednesday where they play Boston, and then they don't play again until Friday, and they play Buffalo and Montreal Friday, Saturday. So if you are going to pick up a Detroit player, maybe at least wait till Friday. And the Detroit player you might eventually want to pick up, Elon, like you mentioned, 
because Nyquist is already gone, is Thomas Tatar, who maybe, ironically, it's sort of like, is he the next Nyquist, even though he started the season with the Red Wings while Nyquist didn't. But Tatar has been considered in the same class of prospect as Nyquist since he turned heads playing for the Czech Republic at a few World Junior Championships around 2010 or so. He started really slow this year, and he's run hot and cold several times over the course of the season, putting up 18 goals and 16 assists for 34 points over 65 games. But right now, he looks like he's running hot. He's strung together three consecutive multi-point games. That gave him a total of eight points in his last nine games, but none of them are on the power play. And in eight of his last 10 games, he's put one shot on goal or less. Now, based on that and what you just said about Detroit's schedule, I don't think I'd rush to drop anyone established to add him to my team. But maybe come Friday, he could be worth a roster spot on your team to replace maybe a struggling player of similar stature. And Elon, I'll throw in one more team you might want to avoid if you're in your fantasy playoffs this week. You don't want to be relying too heavily on any Nashville Predator. They play two games against Anaheim and San Jose this week, if your league's week starts on Monday. And one Predator that otherwise I would be interested in at least thinking about picking up is Calla Yarncroc. Have you heard of this guy? No. Okay. Well, I'm glad I mentioned him then. He has five points in five games this season. He's a rookie, one goal, four assists, and he's seeing a small, reasonable share of Nashville's power play time. And he's playing on their second line with Craig Smith and Gabrielle Bork. And he was a Detroit prospect, and that gives him a certain appeal. He was traded to Nashville for David Legwand at the deadline. And knowing that Detroit saw value in him and that the Preds do now, both teams appeared to have pretty good scouting over the last several years, that adds to his appeal. And I took a quick look at his Corsi just to get an idea. It's only five games. It's a small sample. But his possession numbers relative to the rest of his team have been positive in four of his five games played, although that might be because he is getting more than his fair share of offensive zone starts for a few of those games. Nothing to go wild over, especially with a small schedule, but it's a good start from a promising prospect and maybe to put on your watch list for the last week of the season if you're lucky enough to make it that far. All right, well, those are the headlines of the week. Maybe before we get to some players of note, Let's talk a bit about how we're doing in our pools. I think that we have something to brag about, right, Brian? Yes, we are now the only fantasy hockey podcast where every 100% of the hosts and participants won their fantasy leagues. It's official. Well, I don't know if you could say won the league, but at least won the regular season. Okay, yeah, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. And so I'm just finishing the bye week that I earned from winning my fantasy league by the skin of my teeth. And on Monday, I begin uh, in the semifinals and then hopefully make it long enough to the finals. I made a critical mistake, like we talked about earlier, about roster moves. I thought I had 10 more than I actually did. So I have four roster moves left for the rest of the season. I had to burn one because Patrick Kane was out for the season. I waited to the last possible minute to make my move and it paid dividends. The guys I was looking at picking up three days ago were Milan Michalik, Matthew Nieto, and Dougie Hamilton, all like half decent options. Nothing really overly interesting about any of them, though, although Dougie Hamilton is still a pretty good candidate. But Evgeny Kuznetsov was put on waivers, I guess, by somebody in a matchup this week who really needed that extra push to move on to the next round of the playoffs. And I am the beneficiary. I put in a waiver claim and I grabbed him. I'm not 
really counting on him for a whole lot. I hope he'll put a few shots on goal. I really like that he's playing with Nicholas Backstrom and that he seems to be able to score semi-regularly already. Earned a little bit of trust from his coach if you read the quotes from Adam Oates. I'm happy to have him and I'm glad I waited so long to take him. I'm still not super confident about my chances, especially with Darcy Kemper faltering lately. Uh, But I hope I can make it through the semifinals without any more roster moves and use them all in the final round. So fingers crossed, no more injuries. All right, yeah, a couple of players there worth mentioning. So Kuznetsov, who you just picked up, he's played nine games so far this season since coming in from Russia. He's got two goals and five assists. He didn't do anything for his first two games, so really he's got seven points in seven games, you know, for his last seven. He's got two goals in his last two games. He's scored in each of Washington's last two games against Boston and L.A., who are two hard teams to score against. So I like Kuznetsov's chances, especially now playing with Brower and Backstrom on the second line on Washington. I think that you're going to enjoy having him. Well, the idea with picking him up is that it was one roster move and only one, that he would be a guy that I could keep on my roster happily for the last two weeks of the season. Also, speaking of Kemper, there's a really interesting situation developing over in Minnesota, right? Like you had Harding and Backstrom in your pool, thinking that then you had a handcuff on Minnesota. Since then, both of those guys are out for the season, but you picked up Kemper and you've been riding him and he's been doing really well for you. Now, all of a sudden, it's looking like Ilya Brizgalov, who was picked up at the trade deadline, might be challenging Kemper for those starts in the final two weeks of the season, or at least they might be splitting time. Uh, For people out there who have either Kemper or Brizgalov, either available or in their free agent pool, How do you think that's going to shake out, Brian? Give us some prognostications. Well, neither of them are really walking away with the number one job. In his last four starts, Darcy Kemper has not cracked a 900 save percentage, which has left the door open for Ilya Brizgalov, who also has not really taken advantage of his opportunities. He stopped 23 of 24 against Phoenix on Saturday night, which was a really good performance and a win that the Wild really needed. But before that, he also hadn't cracked 900 in his last two starts. So I don't know what to think between the both of them. I've been reading Michael Russo's columns a lot. He's the beat guy for the Minnesota Wild. And he's always got a good quote from the coach, Mike Yao, about who he's leaning towards starting. And it used to be, you know, Kemper, we're going to go with Kemper, Kemper, Kemper. We got to give him a chance to bounce back from this. But now the quotes seem to be turning, well, you know, Brizgalov has playoff experience and we might want to see what he can offer us. But Kemper, we have to play better in front of him. And I don't want to put him out there if we don't give him a chance to win because the Wild have been playing so well lately. I feel like the discourse around Kemper and Brizgalov has changed a little bit, maybe to take a little bit of the pressure off Kemper. I don't know. I feel like they split time the rest of the season And you probably don't want to be relying on either of them to be your number one or even number two goalie right now, especially the way they're playing. But I do have faith in Minnesota and their defensive system. And I feel like at least Kemper's numbers are going to rebound. Brizgalov hasn't shown a whole lot of promise in any of his starts this season, either with Minnesota or Edmonton. I'm happier having Kemper, but I also, I guess, I'm just crossing my fingers that he's going to keep getting a fair amount of starts. Yeah, and actually, speaking of this goalie controversy, kind of reminded me that there was another goalie I wanted to mention at the top of the show, because one of the injuries that we probably should have mentioned in the headlines is Mike Smith is injured for the Phoenix Coyotes. I'm interested to know, Brian, if you think that Thomas Grease is someone that maybe you could pick up, or maybe he's not available in your league anymore. But he's come in, he's played four games since Mike Smith has went down. Didn't do well against the Rangers, but after that, he's got two wins and three starts and over 
920 save percentage in all three, so he might be someone good to grab for the remainder of the regular season. Well, Thomas Grice has been somewhat of a fantasy underdog for a while now. I feel like he's always been considered as somebody who could play given the opportunity, and the move from San Jose to Phoenix was supposed to help him with that. He hasn't seen a whole lot more time this year than he did in San Jose, but yeah, I guess this is a good chance for him to show what he's capable of, and he has shown himself to be pretty capable. Over the last three games that he's started, he's put up save percentages of 920, 929, and 931, winning two of those three games. And unfortunately, stopping 27 of 29 shots wasn't enough to get the win in the third game. I would be happy to have him on my team. If you're looking to fill a hole in your roster and need some goaltending insurance, you could do a lot worse than Thomas Grice right now. Yeah, and taking a look at Phoenix's schedule, it's not too bad. They play Winnipeg, then they play in L.A., so that's going to be a tough game. Then they play Edmonton for their next game on Thursday. So Grice might be someone you might want to grab for this week if you need some extra goalie stats and he's still available. And even playing L.A., it might be hard for him to get the win there, but I feel like he'll still save a decent percentage of the shots because L.A. is not very good at scoring goals. Yeah, and then actually for the rest of the season, he plays Columbus, Nashville, San Jose, and Dallas. So if Grice gets all of those starts, I think he could put up numbers just as good as any elite goalie, I would think. Phoenix is a good team pushing for the playoffs. He could be a goalie jobber. Hey, well, Brian, speaking of jobbers, since we're jumping around anyways, why don't we go to your jobber of the week? So that's the player who you suggest people can pick up that aren't going to shine and sort of give you amazing stats, but might be enough to put you over if you need a few extra points in your matchup. So who's your jobber for this week? Well, my jobber, I'm going to get to him, but first I'm going to go to the player who might be the reason that he's a jobber. So not a jobber, clearly not a jobber, is Mark Giordano who scored a goal against the New York Rangers Saturday night, which was his 44th point of the season, and that sets a new career high in points for him in a season. He'd already set a new career high in goals a few games earlier. He now has 13 goals and 31 assists for 44 points in 56 games played. Mark Giordano, and he's scoring at a higher rate than he ever has over his seven-year career, which is kind of odd. But I'm not totally bothered by the sudden emergence, as I would be in a lot of other cases, especially that we've talked about over the year. You're always really cautious about somebody who's producing at a much higher rate than they're used to. But he's been doing this all season now, and his underlying numbers are incredible. What they show is that he carries his team on his back when he's on the ice. He changes everything for the Flames, and that's really not an easy task given the team that they're icing this year. There have been several articles written recently about how the Flames' possession numbers skyrocket with Giordano on the ice. And by the way, they're all posted at the new Advanced Hockey Statistics subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash watching the game. And we've known Giordano to this point as a pretty solid defensive defenseman. But the points he's racking up, along with the nearly three shots on goal a game on average, help him turn things in Calgary's favor when he's on the ice. And this makes his defensive partner. TJ Brody, an interesting fantasy pickup, and perhaps he is the jobber that will put you over because I figure Giordano is gone if anybody is paying attention in your pool. So let's talk about his defensive partner, TJ Brody, who has four goals and 25 assists for 29 points on the year, which, given he's played 74 games, is not really impressive. But consider he's got eight assists in his last nine games and that he's had a few other hot stretches over the course of the year. And that's why I think he could have jobber status. He's only 3% owned in Yahoo Leagues, but is playing nearly 24 minutes a night and somehow a plus two on a very weak Calgary team. 
He doesn't put up a whole lot of shots, maybe one a game and two if he's lucky, nor does he block a lot of shots. So peripherals, not very strong. But if you're looking for straight points from free agent defensemen that'll put you over the top, he could be your guy. All right. Yeah, TJ Brody could be a a nice sleeper pickup. Also, speaking of Giordano, this is insane. He is actually tied for 10th right now in the league for defense points. So of defensemen, he's tied for 10th in the league with 44 points. But he's only played 56 games. He was out with injury for a while. And still, he's ahead of people who you'd obviously draft ahead of him, like Ryan Suter and Oliver ekman Larson. So it's pretty crazy. Like, I wonder how high he should be drafted next season. Like, if you adjust for games to give him 74 games, let's say, which is around what he would have if he hadn't gotten injured, he'd have 58 points, which would be good for second behind only Eric Carlson. So, Brian, I guess a question to you, which maybe we'll discuss more in the summertime, is how high should someone like Giordano be drafted for next year? Is he a potential 60-point player? Well, the way he's playing, he is... I don't know how quick I'd be to say that. I mean, if you look at his numbers last year, he played 47 games. He had 15 points. And his previous career high, like I said, was 43 points. It took him 82 games to get there. He's never been an offensive defenseman. It's interesting to see him doing this. But I still feel like he's really low on a lot of people's priority list. And I don't know if he's worth burning a high draft pick for, especially I feel like you mentioned those other defensemen who he's ahead of in the defenseman scoring race. I feel like if you walked up to a Giordano owner and said, okay, you can't look up his numbers, you can't look up his stats, I'm going to offer you Oliver ekman Larson for Mark Giordano. Will you do it? And they'll probably say yes. I don't think anyone's really noticed what he's doing until at least very recently. And that means you could probably wait till the middle rounds if you want to be a little risky. But yes, his Draft stock has definitely jumped significantly, as I think he was a free agent addition in pretty much every fantasy pool this year. Yeah, it's pretty wild to see him coming out of nowhere and doing so well. Yeah, and TJ Brody, his defensive partner, has been the beneficiary of that too. Mm-hmm. And Elon Giordano is doing what I think you would have liked Dennis Weidman to do for your team earlier. You dropped him a mm-hmm. long time ago, and I hope your team is doing better since then. You are in the home stretch of your semifinal matchup. What's going on? Okay, Brian, well, it's a nail-biter. I'm going into the final day of my semifinal matchup. I'm winning four to three in categories. Six of those seven categories have already been decided. And in those, I'm ahead in three, and my opponent's ahead in three. So we can just put those aside. It all comes down to goals. I'm up by two goals going into today, and I would get the tiebreaker if we tie, because the tiebreaker is assists, and I'm killing in assists. So all of that means that my opponent needs to get three more goals than me today in order to defeat me. I should be okay. I have more people playing. He's got Yuri Hoodler, Clark MacArthur, and Milan Lucic playing. So you would think it would be tough for each of them to get a goal today or for them to combine for three goals. And if even if they do combine for three goals, I've got five guys playing, though they include the slumping Martin St. Louis, the slumping Alish Hemsky, Eric Carlson, who is not slumping, but, you know doesn't score as many goals as he gets assists. And then I also have Scott Hartnell and Mikhail Backlund. So that's the five players I've got going today against my opponent's three, and I need to be up by three goals. So hopefully I'll be able to hang on. I've already been planning for some moves I want to make in the finals. You'll see some angry tweets tonight if it turns out that Hoodler gets a hat trick and I lose. It's totally possible. It's nice that you have a two-goal cushion. In one night, though, it's hard to predict what will happen. Reason would say, and especially over the long term, And this is why you finished so far ahead of everyone else in your pool that you'll be fine with those five against his three. 
but in one night, anything can happen. And, you know, I, I feel really bad for you as an owner of Martin St. Louis, not me, you as the owner of Martin St. Louis. We've seen like a total destruction of his public image as a person and his marquee status as a player. The only thing worse than a slumping star is one who seems like they are the ones solely responsible for putting themselves in the situation they're in. And that's where St. Louis is today, which is just awful for his owners who've relied on him all season. He's been a fantasy star for years, and he even got a little bit of extra credit, I think, for continuing to produce through Stamkos' injury. But all that's gone now. In the 13 games since being traded to New York, he has three assists and no goals. He's not even taking shots, which is odd because he's generally averaged at least two and a half shots per game over the last few years. But as of now, he's got only 24 shots in these 13 games. And you can do the math. That's less than two a game. In fact, it's been eight games since he even put more than one shot on goal in a single game. Obviously, when you're not shooting, there's not a lot of opportunity to score goals. And I feel for you, but hopefully the rest of your guys can carry you through. Yuri Hoodler isn't shooting a lot either lately. Well, Martin St. Louis, hopefully he'll make up for it today with a goal against Edmonton. If he could score against any team, you think it would be Edmonton. I just read that he's going to be back playing with Richards and Haglin, which is where he started on the Rangers. That's pretty much it for my fantasy team. Brian, let's move on now to our players of note. Do you have anyone left? We've talked about a bunch of players already in this episode. Yeah, I've got one left, and his name is... Mike Ribeiro, another disappointing player who has fallen off after going to a new team. But I think a lot of us thought it would happen at the start of the season when he joined Phoenix, except it happened in the middle of the season. Recently, he's been healthy scratched twice in a row, and then he came back Saturday night to go 500 in the faceoff circle and put up no points with one shot on goal, not exactly making a statement after being scratched. He hasn't done much of anything since mid-December when he appeared to be on pace for his usual 70 points or so before falling off hard. He has only... 16 points in his last 34 games, which is good for less than that vaunted half a point per game mark that I consider important to be fantasy relevant. And he's really not an automatic start either in your lineup or apparently for the Coyotes. I think a lot of people thought that he was a product of circumstance playing in high scoring roles in previous seasons with Washington and Dallas. And he seemed to be proving people wrong for the first couple months of the season but I don't know what's going on. He appears to be proving them right now. There doesn't seem to be a significant change in the way he's been used. I haven't personally gotten to watch a whole lot of Coyotes games, so I can't tell you anything that I've seen with my eyeballs that's different. But I would stay away and actually would consider cutting bait with him if there's anyone even slightly comparable available in your league. All right. Well, if you're going to be dropping Ribeiro, I don't know if this guy that I'm about to mention is a worthy replacement, but someone who I wanted to mention as a potential really deep Sleeper pickup, and by the way, I should mention, a couple weeks ago, my deep sleeper pickup I mentioned was Alec Martinez, and he's been like a point per game since, so just throwing that out there. But this week, I want to mention Andre Loktyanov on the Carolina Hurricanes. So he has silently put up three goals and three assists in his last six games. That's right, point per game for his last six, and that includes three power play points. He's been bumped up to Carolina's top line along with Eric Stahl and Yuri Tlusty. And he's also centering the second power play unit, along with Jeff Skinner, Riley Nash, Elias Lindholm, and Jay Harrison. So 
Someone to keep your eye on on the Carolina Hurricanes. If you think that they're going to be able to get some goals, you might see some more action from Andrei Lotkianov. Yeah, that's sort of interesting. I think he's shown flashes of offense in the past, especially when he was with L.A. I think people were thinking he might have a chance to produce in New Jersey. I don't know if he didn't get the chance or if he just wasn't capable. So it's interesting to see him produce with Carolina. It's interesting also to see the line shuffle that happened with the Hurricanes at this point in the season, because all year it's been Eric Stahl and Alex Semin on the top line. And that third player has been rotating, you know, between uh, Tlusti and we talked about Elias Lindholm recently. And so now that Lakshyanov is up and Semin is down on the second line with Jordan Stahl and Nathan Gerby, I feel like both lines seem to actually be benefiting right now. Jordan Stahl, as I've mentioned, has been doing a little better lately after having a really anemic season. And Eric Stahl's season hasn't been so much better, but playing with Lokchianov hasn't affected him too much. So maybe they'll keep rolling with it. That's a that's a really good deep sleeper potential pickup, Elon. Yeah, and you know what's interesting with Carolina also is that you'd think with this shakeup and Jeff Skinner now playing on the third line with Riley Nash and Elias Lindholm, you'd think that his stock would drop, but Skinner's got goals in three straight games, four-game point streak going, and he's got five, seven, three, and five for his shots on goal counts. So Skinner is as hot as ever. And yeah, I don't know, a lot of Carolina Hurricanes opening some eyes lately. We'll see if they can keep it up for the final two weeks of the regular season. We will. I should mention, they also play eight times in the next two weeks, and they start off next week with games against Ottawa, Pittsburgh, Dallas, and New Jersey. And would you look at the time? Brian, the show's over. That's it. We've hit the end. No more players to discuss. All that's left is for everyone to cross their fingers and hope any decisions that they've made up to this point will pay off because it is the home stretch. We'd love to hear from any of our listeners who are still in the running. Let us know what's the status. If you need any last-minute help, we'd be happy to try. You could tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. I promise to be monitoring it extra carefully while Brian's asleep over in Japan, and then he'll take it over in the evenings. Also, yeah, even just following us on Twitter might be fun for you. We've been tweeting a lot, giving lots of tips. I already mentioned Matthew Perot like two days ago, actually. So if that news that he is on this hot streak and has an amazing schedule for next week is new to you, that means you should be following us on Twitter. You could be our 81st follower. Oh my goodness, that would be so amazing. Let's get to 83 by the end of the season. Holy cow, one could only dream. Also, if you want to contact us in a more long-form way, you could always email us, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. I wanted to mention that I made a promise that if someone gave us a five-star review on iTunes, I'd make them famous by mentioning them on the show. So thank you to Robert, or at LionsFan20BS, I hope his review was not BS. No, he was very complimentary. So thank you, Robert. And yeah, it really helps us out, I think. I don't know. I'd I'd assume it helps us out if you give us a five-star review on iTunes. So please do that. Help us get noticed. That's it for the plugs and requests and ways to contact us. Brian, how about you thank our sources that we use to put the show together? Sure. First, let me quickly plug the new subreddit to keep up with advanced hockey statistics. If you're interested in seeing what everybody is writing and talking about right now and joining the conversation, reddit.com slash r slash watching the game. Even if you don't make a comment, click on a couple articles. Maybe you'll learn something and get interested. And yes, thank you to the resources that we always use. Extra Skater, Left Wing Lock, Behind the Net, Dauber Hockey, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Also a resource I use a lot that wasn't in that list there is Daily Faceoff. A really great place to see up-to-date line combinations. Thanks, Brian, for joining us for another episode. 
good luck to you next week and good luck to everyone listening. Thanks, Ilan. Good luck, everybody.